Now this morning we are privileged um, to have our Southern Africa apostolic leader Roger Pierce with us to get us out of the starting blocks for this month of vision. Many of you know Roger, uh, many of you have known him for a long time, and uh, it's really, really, really hard to come up with the proper things to say when I've got to introduce Roger. <laughs> he wants me to say nothing, but that's not going to happen, um, because there's just so much I can say. Um, but what comes from my heart this morning is a deep, deep, deep gratitude to God that he has given us this man as a leader in this region, and he never leads alone, he always leads with a team. And Roger is a couple of things, but for me and Elena, he's been like a father through some difficult moments, and still is, even in the happy moments. He's a faithful friend, and uh, the best way to describe Roger is we were in a meeting this week, and when I entered the room, he got up and he made me coffee and said, would you like some coffee? He always carries around and serves people with coffee. He's a servant leader that demonstrates the love of Jesus. And I'm sharing these things to tell you, you can trust this man and the message that God has put on his heart for us this morning. So can we give a cheer to Roger as he gets ready to share? One, two, one, two. So normally when I get such a great introduction, I ask them to give me that recording so I can give it to my mother-in-law. <laughs> but I love my mother-in-law and she's here today. So. <laughs> it's just a deflection te technique. I want to honor this church for what you carry and for who you are came to the prayer meeting this morning and just sensed the, the favor and the blessing of God. I love the way you are reaching out beyond yourself. And I want to honor and thank this team for, for what you're doing for Southern Africa. We're having our world conference this year. And Pierre has put up his hand. And Al has put up his hand. And Melinda has put up her hand. And Sarah and so many others. You are blessing not just the Helderberg area, but, but you are blessing Southern Africa and the world this year. And so could I, I just want to give you, could, could we give ourselves a round of applause for what we do as a church? Thank you. I want to quickly introduce my family. Nicola and I have been married for 30 years. I feel a bit like Winston Churchill. Um, my greatest success on earth was to persuade her to marry me. Thank you, Mom, for Nicola. Um, I wish she could be with me this year. I mean, with me today. Um, I feel like I'm weak today, but God is strong. I've been fighting flu and a couple of things, so if my voice is croaky, but I know God is going to move in our midst. So that's my beautiful wife, who's an incredible pastor, intercessor, and uh, yesterday she was making food for our homeless program and just, just loving it. I'm just so proud of her. Then the couple on the right are Sean and Laura. Laura actually works in Somerset as a teacher, and uh, Sean is in campus ministry in Stellenbosch. And uh, he might be small, but he's like dynamite, you know? He's, like, he's leading about 30 men onto the Roy Plain every Thursday, at lunchtime, evangelizing. I mean, there's just, there's just something of, of God in him. And then the other couple is James and Amy. they in City Bowl. We've got a recent church plant in the City Bowl. 
During COVID, it went from 20 to 50 to about 200 young people. And uh, most of them have just been saved the last year or two. And uh, it's just a phenomenal church. So, and my kids love the Lord, despite my many failings as a parent. Um, and I'll talk about choice later on. But I'm so grateful that they, that they love and serve the Lord. I'm going to tell you two stories before we get to the word. One's a parable, and the other one's a true story. The first is a parable in the kind of Lord of the Rings genre. Imagine the darkest, most wicked, powerful castle. Imagine a dark, dark castle. And in the heart, the dark heart of this castle, is a dungeon filled with the most despicable creatures. And it's, it's painful. And, and you, you are in that dungeon. You're in a cage in the center of the dungeon. And all the other prisoners just keep on torturing you. And you're there because you deserve to be there. It's not by chance. You're there because you deserve to be there. And, and your bones are broken. And your body is covered in sores. And you long for death. Imagine you're there. Imagine you're in that place of pain and darkness and bondage and hopelessness. All of a sudden, there's a loud crash. The doors fling open, light shines, it's too bright for you. you. You hide away at the back of the cage as best you can. And in storms, a prince with his knights, shining bright, pure and holy. Rescue squad, SWAT team, <laughs> to come for you. The prince comes up to the cage and he breaks open the lock. He reaches in for you and you're so unused to love that you, you pull away. He gently pulls you out and he embraces you. And then he gives you to one of his knights and he climbs into that cage. And they close the door and they put locks on it. And all of a sudden the the sores and, and your broken bones just start cracking correct and, the, and these sores and boils just disappear and, and you whole. And you taken from this dark place to the most beautiful palace where you eat and you rest and you are comforted and you cleansed and you don't see this prince for days. And then all of a sudden he returns and he's still got the scars on his body but he's no longer carrying the wounds. My question to you, how do you feel about that prince? <laughs> how do you respond to that prince? What is your heart towards him? It's one of immense gratitude. You want to embrace him. You want to thank him. You want to love on him. You want to just fall at his feet. What I'm going to talk to you today about requires that foundation. Because as we are challenged as we are inspired, as we are provoked to serve God, it's always got to be from the understanding of we were in darkness and we deserved it. And Jesus has come and he's paid the price and he has set us free. So it's from a, from a place of gratitude, from a place of recognizing where we were and what Jesus has done. I want to tell you about a great psychiatrist, the Austrian's 
produced a whole lot of psychiatrists in the previous century, Sigmund Freud and Jung. There was a man called Dr. Viktor Frankl. In the 30s, 1930s, he did incredible work with students. There was a plague of suicides happening. And so they established youth counseling centers. And it was so successful that in 1931, in Vienna, there was not one suicide from the ministry that they did. Then, simply because he was Jewish, his wife and his extended family were all taken to a Nazi concentration camp, Auschwitz and Dachau. His wife died, his father died, his brother died. And in his grief and in his pain, he started to just, just look inside and, and look around him. And, and he noticed this. He noticed that some men, although seemingly weak in body, survived. They had a will to live. And others who came in with seemingly great strength and great health passed away. And he asked himself the question, what is it about it? What was it? What was it about these? Why was it that some strong men died and so many weak people lived? Much of what he discovered is in the Word of God. <laughs> it was written 2,000 years ago. So we're going to go to the Word of God, and then I'll loop back to Viktor Frankl. Come with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Paul is writing to a young Timothy in what was probably the third richest city, Ephesus, mega city, had the privilege of going there. The streets are lined with marble. They've got, they had hot and cold running water in the city from three different sources. Unbelievable city, and it was full of pride, full of wealth, and full of wickedness in terms of sexual wickedness. So Paul writes to young Timothy, who's the pastor of this church, a young man, and he says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from wickedness. Verse 20, and this is the focus, verse 20 and 21. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Lord, that you would rend the heavens. Lord, as you've already come down in worship and in prayer beforehand, that you would speak to our hearts. Do what only you can do, and that is transform us, quicken us, Bring us alive to you and launch us into the fullness of your purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
In the Passion Translation, which is a paraphrase actually, it says, In a palace you find many kinds of containers and tableware for many different uses. Some are beautifully inlaid with gold and silver. Some are made of wood or earthenware. Some of them are used for banquets and special occasions, and some for everyday use. Sorry, I've lost. There we go. But you, Timothy, must not see your life in ministry this way. Your life in ministry must not be disgraced, for you are to be a pure container of Christ, dedicated to the honorable purposes of your master, prepared for every good work that he gives you to do. Paul uses the image of a great house. He uses the image of a palace. And we've got to ask, first of all, what is he saying about the palace? Is he saying that this is the entire cosmos? Is this the entire universe? And he's saying there's vessels for honor and vessels for dishonor. Is he talking about the angels and the demons and stuff that we don't know? Or is he talking about the church? I believe he's talking to Timothy. And he's talking about the church of Jesus Christ. And you might say, but, but that's wild, you know, that in the house of God, in the church, invisible and visible, there are vessels for honor and there are vessels for dishonor. Now, we, we know that we've been saved by grace through faith. We know it's not through our works, and that's why I told you that story at the beginning, which is just a parable of Jesus. But as believers who, as it were, have got our passport, right? We're going to heaven. As believers who have got our passport, I put it to you that there is so much more. There's so much more that God has for us. You might say, I thought we were approved already. I thought there was no dishonor or no shame. Isn't this how it works? And is it fair that some people, they seem to have it all, are, are vessels of gold and vessels of silver, and, and some are common vessels. Some are vessels maybe that, like you think of a house, think of the common stuff that you put in some vessels, in the bathroom, in the trash can. Is it fair? And it comes down to this. There's one word. He says, if, <laughs> if. And if is conditional. It says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. It's a big if. If means it's conditional. It means choice. And we're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about living your life in a way that glorifies him. We're talking about living the life that God has called you to live. C.S. Lewis, I don't know how many of you have read his book, The Four Loves. It's a great book. And he says, you know, in, in English, we've just got the one word, love. But in Greek, there's four words. There's storge, which is family love. There's philia, which is friendship. There's eros, which is romantic or erotic. And then there's agape, which is described as perfect love or unconditional love. 
My, my imagine, I'm looking forward to becoming a grandfather. Now imagine I've got my grandson, okay, my three-month-old grandson in my arms. And I look at my grandson and I go, perfect little boy, right? Just love him as he is. I mean, that's a good thing. But imagine, I said, I love him so much the way he is that I find some mad scientist to inject him with something that keeps him at three months for the rest of his life. I mean, you'd look at me and say, that's pathological. And that would be right, okay? There'd be something wrong. Like, I just want you to, you're so perfect, I love you the way you are. God loves me and he loves you today, right, right now, fully. But at the same time, he sees you for who you're meant to be. He sees you for who you can be. He's, he sees you for the fullness of the life that is in you. It's not that he doesn't love you today. He loves you today. But just as I love this little grandson and God loves you today, he's saying, but I can see what you're meant to become. So it's not conditional love, but it's love that sees past the sin, sees past the lack of fulfilling your potential, and it says, my boy, my girl, from this point of your life, despite your mistakes, you've been going down and sideways from here. It doesn't matter where here is. I can see what you're meant to become. I have a plan for you. I want to take you upwards and onwards into the fullness of what I have for you. Love is seeing someone who they really are and calling them up. There was a man called John Scully who was the president of Pepsi. And Steve Jobs came to him and he said this. He said, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life? <laughs> or do you want to come with me and change the world? Okay, John Scully, the president of Pepsi, he leaves, joins Apple. And within 10 years, takes Apple from 800 million to over 8 billion in sales, under Scully's management. What changed for Scully was the meaning and the purpose that was offered to him. And so he left behind this highly lucrative job, super well paid, to make a difference in his life. This word if implies, and the psychological term is agency. You have agency. You have choice as to how you will respond to the grace and the goodness of God. There's something called orthodoxy, which means right thinking. There's something called orthopraxy, which means right living. But, but more than those two, God is after orthopathos, which means the right heart. That out of a right heart, you're saying, God, because you have done so much for me, I want to respond. I want to respond and live for you. When my sons were growing up, we coined this phrase. We, I'm sure we lifted it from somebody else. Um, we didn't, but, but we kept on saying this to them. Let's say, can I go out? Um, can, we, can I have a girlfriend? Can whatever, you know? And we said this to them. You are free, but you're responsible. And they'd be like, oh, dad. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that, you know? <laughs> So you're free. You're free to do these things. We'd say to them, you don't have to be a Christian. 
We'll still love you. We'll still feed you. We want you to become Christians. You are free, but you're responsible. And that's the truth for all of our lives. We are free. We are free. We can do as we choose. We have freedom of choice. We don't have freedom of consequence, but we have freedom of choice. And why do we choose? We choose because of his love and his goodness. I'm sure you've seen those memes about a man saying to his girl or his wife, so do I have to buy you flowers? And then she responds, you do have to, but not that kind of have to. <laughs> you know? It's taken away, and, and God loves a cheerful giver. It's taken, the joy and the life is taken away when you're doing things because you have to. We do things for God out of the overflow of gratitude and wanting to be on the great mission that he is on. In responding to this if question, we set ourselves apart, and I was looking at the life of Lewis Hamilton. Sir Lewis Carl Davidson Hamilton, British Formula One racer. Okay, he has matched Michael Schumacher in terms of World Drivers' Championship titles seven times. 103 wins, 103 pole positions, 191 podium finishes. You know what he does? He spends four to six hours a day physically training. We're not talking about racing. Four to six hours a day physically training. Long bike rides, swimming, hiking. He has set himself apart. He has set himself apart for this great mission for him of being a Formula One racer. And this is his, this is his statement. There's one day of the year. It's officially the summer break, and the only day I can eat whatever I want. So that calls for pancakes and bacon. The rest of the time, he's, a, he's, a, he's on a vegan diet. Like, I don't, no, let's not even go there. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got to admire his consecration, his dedication for him to become the greatest driver in the world. The word set apart is hagiazo, which means consecrated or holy, given over to God's use. Now, this is what God wants us to be. He wants us to be set apart and holy for his use. A few years ago, I got tired of sharing my faith with just random people like garage attendants and mug and bean waitresses. Not that I don't still do it. I do it all the time. But I wanted to have more like long-term engagements with people. So I joined this running crew. I left my Christian running crew, and I joined the secular running crew, all kind of C-suite executives in the Westcliff area, if you know Johannesburg. And I drive in with my little car, and they all like look at me. <laughs> and the first time they asked me what I do, we're running together. And I told them I was a pastor. It was like a stink bomb had been let off in the... <laughs> It was like, what did I say? You know, it's like <laughs> now I've got three different answers, you know, the quick one, the long one, and the funny one. But I set myself aside. Every Tuesday morning at 5.15 we run, every Thursday at 5.15 in the morning, and every Saturday morning. 
in due season, I have seen such incredible fruit. And it has come from me just saying, God, I'm yours. I'm going into this environment to be used by you. So one of the first breakthroughs came, got to the top of a hill with a mate of mine, bumped into this young lady. I asked her how her dad was. I was reaching out to her dad. He had COVID. This was, this was through COVID. Dad's better, but she says, I've got this thing on my arm. It's so sore. Can't get rid of it. So despite COVID protocols, I put my hand on her shoulder, prayed for her. Then we carried on running. Tuesday, she comes running to me with her boyfriend, and she says, I'm healed. I'm healed, you know? So I'm like, great. Later on, I phoned her dad, like, is she really healed, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's like I believe, help my unbelief, you know? She's healed. Thursday, I run with her boyfriend, um, chat to him, and he's backslidden, and he's like, yeah, girlfriend's healed. Anyway, from this, with them two and a, and a bunch of others, I send a WhatsApp to about five guys, and I say, I'm starting a Bible study, six weeks, straight off to the run, quarter past six in the morning, are you in? All of them say yes. So it's five C-suite guys plus Nick and Kayla. Just, just a six-week commitment. Just a verse in the Bible and, and a pen and paper. So we, we pray and um, start to read the Bible. Week one, one guy starts crying. It's nothing that I've done. I've made myself available, and God does it. Week two, another guy starts crying. Week three, I've got to go to Cape Town, and they go like, no, we're continuing, you know? So I'm like, heresy alerts, like these are all unchurched, dechurched, you know, never been in church. They don't know what they're doing, but fine, you know? It's like, I get back week four. No, we had a wonderful time, Roger, you fired, you know, but they're joking, you know? Week five, I'm away again. They continue to roll. Week six, it's now the end of the season, and like, there's no stopping. So off we roll. We roll on for about 10 weeks, come to the end of last year, and uh, what are you thankful for? One guy, I've started to pray with my wife, I started to pray with my child. Another one, this is like the best moment of my week. And all it was, was me hearing the Lord and setting myself apart for His service. And God did it. God rends the heavens. God's the one who changes the hearts. But we just got to put ourselves in a place where people mock us and scoff us. I mean, it's been funny sometimes. We're sitting there, and it's like a full coffee shop, and everybody just jumps on each other's tables, you know? People will sit down, and I'll say, hey, so lucky to have you. Um, we're doing a Bible study. Man, they get up so fast when they, <laughs> when they get we're doing a Bible study. Oh, they stay. But even these people that are there, they're standing up for Jesus, because everybody knows what they're doing in the midst of the crowd. Will you be a man or woman who's setting aside yourself to be used by God for His honor and for His glory? Now, it talks about how we need to be useful. Useful to the master. We've all got different gifts. And we need to be so careful that we are not jealous of other people's gifts. We're not intimidated by other people's gifts. We're not holding back because we don't like the gifts that, that we have. But God wants to take us from being a one-trick pony. You know what a one-trick pony is? 
where you can only do one thing for God. And he wants to make us into an awesome Leatherman for Jesus. Or a Swiss Army knife. God wants to make you useful. Nicola yesterday was making food for people. That's not necessarily her great calling, food making. But in this season, for the people that we're reaching out to, we do it. I consider my service in the church, I mean, I've gone through, I think, every single department. You know? Every single, you name it, you know? Kids, youth, missions, connect. I, I even used to lead worship until we got a little bit better and they said, Roger, it's fine. We've got... <laughs> There's better people who can do it. Verse 15, we read it. It says, do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says this, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word workmanship is poema, from which we get the word poem. You are his, his piece of art. You are his poem. And you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's good works just for you to do. And what happens if you don't do those works? Don't be more Calvin than Calvin. All right? Don't say, you know, if it's meant to happen, it'll happen. If you don't bring your gift... You know the consequence? We are poorer. The church is poorer. And the reality is you are poorer because it's more blessed to give than to receive. I pray that you would make it your mission to be used by God for his honor and for his glory. This is what our life is meant to be. It's meant to be purposeful. It's meant to be rich. It's meant to be full. Be it in your family be it in the marketplace, be it in church, be it in education, be it in making disciples. We are called to be useful. We're called to be set apart. And we're called to be ready. And let me talk about being ready. The word is hetemazo, which means prepared. That's from the oriental customer of sending on before kings on their journeys people to level roads and make them passable. Will you be that person who makes level paths for the king to come, for the gospel to come. Readiness speaks about not being entangled in the affairs of the world. It means that you're not so busy with your recreation and your work and your hobbies and your pursuit of money or your pursuit of physicality that you've got no time. Readiness means that you've got margins in your life. Margins with your finances, margins with your time that you can be used by God. I think, I think of the Good Samaritan. We don't know the story, but clearly he had set aside some margin in his life to be used to care for that person on, on the street. Readiness speaks of a soft ear and a soft heart to be used by God. In C.S. Lewis's Weight of Glory, he says this. He says, there are no ordinary people. You've never spoken to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. 
and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. Cultures, civilizations, South Africa, America, they're all going to come to an end. They're mortal, but it's people that are, that are immortal. He says, it is the immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit, either immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. How do you see people around you? Do you see them as mere mortals? Or do you see them as they really are? Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors? Do you see your interaction with people as you go on the streets, at work, in your families? As I can make a difference. I can be used by God to bring these people to Christ that they might experience life and life abundantly. I pray that I, and I pray that you, carry God's perspective on people around you. Going back to Viktor Frankl, you know what Viktor Frankl said? His conclusion of what helped these students in the 30s in Vienna, what helped people in the concentration camps, people are made for purpose. People are designed to live with purpose. Three things he said, either it's work by doing something significant, or it's love by caring for somebody, or it's courage during a difficult time. These are the three purposes that, 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 that he had derived from it. I'm sure there's more. There's purpose and there's destiny on your life. It's either this or you live a meaningful life. In Jeremiah 1 verse 5 it says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You've been made by God. You've been formed by God. You've been called by God. You've also been made for God. You've been formed for God. And you've been called for his purpose. Will you decide today to be a vessel of honor? You know, one of my heart's cries is when I die, or just before I die, that I would hear the, the voice of the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm not comparing to anybody else. Have I been faithful as a husband, as a father, as a friend, in what I have been called to do? Will you make it your life's objective to be a vessel of honor? Or will you say, you know, I've got my passport, <laughs> I'm going to heaven, and I'm happy just to pursue my own desires. T. Lawrence said this, All men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds wake up in the day to find it was vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men or women, for they may act their dreams with open eyes to make it possible. Will you dream of a church where everybody brings their gift? Imagine if in every nation held a burg, everybody stepped up and brought their gift. Imagine what's going to happen here. Imagine what's going to happen in Zola, what, what's going to happen in Solari's Pass, what's going to happen in Kalicha, what's going to happen in Cape Town and beyond. If every one of us step up and say, here I am, Lord. I'm setting myself apart. I'm responding to that if... Use me. I'm ready. I'm available. I'm consecrated.
There was a song many years ago, probably very few of you remember it, by a guy called Ray Boltz. It's called I Dreamed I Went to Heaven, and I haven't put up the whole, but I'm going to read it to you, and you've only got part of it. I dreamed I went to heaven, and you were there with me. We walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing, then someone called your name. You turned and saw this young man, and he was smiling as he came. And he said, friend, you may not know me. And then he said, but wait. You used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. Then another man stood before me and said, remember the time a missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. And Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. One by one they came, far as the eye could see. Each life, some are touched by your generosity. Little things you have done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on earth, in heaven now proclaimed. I know that up in heaven, you're not supposed to cry. But I am almost sure there were tears in your eyes. As Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord, he said, my child, look around you, for great is your reward. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. As I conclude, there's destiny upon your life. Doesn't matter how much you feel like you've messed up. Doesn't matter how much you feel like you've, you've missed the purpose of God. From here today, there's a plan, there's a purpose for you. And the question is, will you respond and say, I want to become a vessel of honor? I feel like I've had two open visions in my life. Visions as in, I felt like I got retina burn, that I can always see them. The one kind of north, western, Dutch, European style, cold winter's day. There were knights flanking a king on horseback. And in the foreground was a beggar and and I was that beggar in the picture. And that was the painting. Knights on horseback with the king on horseback and me begging. The interpretation of that picture was that I'd once been in the service of the king. And I had lost my way. And I'd fallen into dishonor. And I was reduced to begging. And I saw these men coming along. And I just thought, let me ask for some food, some bread for something. The next picture, which I didn't see, was that the king would say to me, never mind bread, it's sir, whatever. <laughs> there's a war to be won, there's battles to be fought. Doesn't matter about what you've done, Matt. doesn't matter about your regrets, doesn't matter about your embarrassment. Give him a horse, give him a sword, let him ride. I pray you would leave behind your regrets. <laughs> I pray you would leave behind your mistakes. I pray you'd leave behind 
your sense of inadequacy and say, Lord, here I am. I want to become that vessel, that vessel of honor, that vessel of gold and silver. I know I've got my passport to heaven, but Jesus, I'm hearing your call. And out of gratitude, out of a heart for you, I say yes to the call of God. Can we pray together? I want to do a call to, to you. If, if this word has spoken to you and you're saying yes to more, you're saying yes to be used more by God, you're saying yes to be ready in ways that you haven't been ready, you're saying yes to be useful in ways that you haven't been useful yet. You're saying yes to be consecrated. So it's not a salvation altar call, but it's a, it's a call of consecration. If the Lord's putting his, his finger on your heart and saying, come my son, come my daughter, I want to use you. I want you to stand to your feet. And I want to pray. Lord, as we as we stand before you, we look to you for your grace and power to come upon us. Just lift up your hands. Lord, as we lift up our hands, we are surrendering and we are consecrating ourselves and we're giving ourselves to you in deeper ways, Lord God. And Lord, we're saying, use us, Lord. Use us for your honor and use us for your glory. Jesus, we are so thankful for what you've done for us. And it's just a tiny token back that we might love and serve those that you love and serve. So, Father, I pray for these incredible men and women, young and old. Holy Spirit, come upon them. Quicken them. Grace them. Use them for your honor. Use them for your glory. Let them be vessels of gold and silver for your purposes, Lord God. Through them... Lord, may Helderberg be rocked, Lord God, the Western Cape and beyond. Send, these, send them to the nations, Lord God, and, and send them into the corporate world and send them into business and send them, send them across South Africa and the world, Lord God. May they bring your kingdom. May they bring your light. May they bring your love. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Jesus, I thank you that as we stand together to our feet, we are saying yes to the vision of your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, that we can make that decision today to set ourselves apart. I pray, Lord, that it wouldn't just be our decision today, but tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and every day going forward, Lord, we would wake up and say, yes, Lord, use us to your honor. Lord, I pray that you would speak to your, through your Holy Spirit to every heart here in how you want to use them, that you'll use their study time and the word to see what it is that you want them to do, Father, and that we could testify of the miracles of people's hearts coming alive to the very specific call that you have for each one of them. We thank you for that, Lord. I want to pray this morning for Roger and Nicola and his family, Lord, as they have said yes over and over again. You have used them powerfully. Lord, even in the moments where they had to really dig deep and find the courage to say yes, where even their own hearts were, 
were trying to, to bog them down and, and say that it's time to give up, Lord, they continue to say yes to be used by you. So as every nation in Helderberg, we just come around them today, Father, and we pray for them too, that they too, Lord, would be continue to be empowered. Lord, thank you for the leadership that you have gifted our nation and our region with, with Roger and his team. Lord, and may we continue to just gaze upon the beauty of how you use them for honor in our nation, the nations of Africa, and into the world. Lord, thank you for being part of a family that continues to say yes. Yes, to see the honor of God in the nations of the world, Lord. And as we continue on from this moment forward, I bless us, Lord, with knowing that we're saying yes to our Father, our good Father who gives us good gifts. We say thank you, Lord, that we can be blessed this morning with Jesus, who empowers us through the work of your Spirit to be those workers, the workmanship created for good works that you've prepared for us beforehand. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless each one of us as Lord to find those good works and to walk in them. And if you agree with that, let's say amen. I mean, let's give Roger a hand for this morning. Thank you, Roger, for your charge. Appreciate it. Uh, if you know Roger, please come say hi to him after church. Um, in five minutes' time, we are going to go down to the pool. We will leave from the Bedouin tent. We'll just call you all together there. Uh, Eugene and I will lead the march down there. So come and join us in five minutes' time. Um, if you need prayer for anything specific, there's some leaders up front after the service. Please come to us. But please join us for prayer on Tuesday night at Bizweni Church on the Bizweni campus, 6.30. See you there. Have a blessed morning and a blessed day. Amen. Amen.